Coming up next on Contemplate. So we see what Christ-like authority looks like. It looks like servanthood. It looks like humility. It doesn't look like being served. It looks like serving. A good way to tell if someone's exercising authority right, whether or not they're looking to be served or whether or not they're looking to serve. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, and this is Contemplate. We're going to learn some fascinating things today as Pastor David teaches us about the Jewish leadership during the time of the early church. Please turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 4, verse 5, and here's Pastor David. So, let's get a little context. We had Peter and John. This is after Pentecost. In Pentecost, we had the Holy Spirit descend upon the church, and there were tongues of fire, and there was a sound of wind, and these people spoke in in different languages, and and 3,000 people came to know the Lord that day, and the Christian church began. Now, sometime after that, we have Peter and John going into the temple through a place called the Beautiful Gate, and laid there at the Beautiful Gate is a lame man, a man who cannot walk. He hasn't been able to walk since birth. And the Holy Spirit lays it on Peter's heart to tell this man to get up and walk, which Peter does, is faithful to do that. And this man, in fact, gets up and walks. Well, this causes quite a stir, okay? There's a lot of people here in the temple, and they all know who this guy is because he's been there for years and years. That says they laid him there daily at the gate. So all these people knew who this guy was, and they saw that he was walking. And so they kind of ran together and formed a big crowd, coming to Peter and John and saying, what happened here? Peter gets this opportunity to give a sermon, tells them, hey, listen, you know, Jesus, that guy that just not too long ago, you all asked for him to be crucified and killed on a cross. Well, it's him. He was resurrected. He rose from the dead. We witnessed it. There were all kinds of people who witnessed it. And not only did he rise from the dead, but the power that you saw in this man who you knew and who you know and who was lame, power for him to walk also came from Jesus. Now, as they're doing this, the leaders of the temple... They come, they see Peter and John, they hear that they're talking about resurrection and Jesus. Their reaction is, let's put these guys in jail. So that's what they do. And when they do this, and the people hear the testimony, think about the evidence that's been given. The church goes to 5,000 people. It was 120 at the beginning of the day of Pentecost. It went to 3,120. And here on this day, we see the church now is 5,000 people that are now following Christ as a result of the witness of Peter and John who are now in jail. So we're now in verse 5 of chapter 4. If you have your Bible, if not, it'll be up here on the screen. You can read it, and it says this. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. All right. So here's the context. We have all these people. We have the elders, the rulers, the scribes. Okay, these are the the rulers of the people of Israel. It also says we have Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and the family of the high priest. All these people are here. So who are these people? Who are these people that they're, that they're talking about? Why does Luke mention all these names, first of all? Let's, let's step back for a second. We've talked a number of times about how Acts is about facts, how Luke was not writing a fairy tale, but a very specific, very thought-out history. In fact, Luke is, is, is thought of as one of the best historians, just as a pure historian in this period. Okay, And one of the reasons we see all these names is because he's detail-oriented, very, very detail-oriented. So he's putting all these people. Is it important? 
that we know all these specific people's names? He thought so. Why? So that you could go back and check it out. You can go talk to these guys. You can go find Annas and Caiaphas and John and whoever and these rulers and these scribes and so on and go ask them, did this happen? So you could check out his history. That's one of the reasons he wrote it that way. But who are these guys? So rulers, that's easy. They're rulers, okay? These guys were the rulers. And it talks about elders. So the elders, like we're also probably rulers, if you want to use the term that way, these were part of the Sanhedrin. And they called them elders, not necessarily because they were older. In fact, the minimum age for an elder or for a person who would be in the Sanhedrin was actually 20 years old. So that's not very elder. Um, if 20 years old is elder, I'm really elder, and some of you are really, really elder. Okay, I'm not saying anything about the front row here. I'm just saying that, you know, you guys... <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's good to see you, Dave. I'm glad you're back, buddy. Um, I'm kidding, guys, okay? They're my friends. It's cool. Um, no, but that's all. But they called them elders because in, originally those who were put in the Sanhedrin had to be older. It wasn't, it wasn't the case later that they had to be as old, but originally they had to be older, so they called them elders. That's the way it worked. We still have elders in the church that fill a similar role. And then it says scribes. Scribes, it sounds like, is somebody who writes stuff down, who copies stuff down, the scribe, right? But, but that's not what these guys were. Primarily, these guys were serious, serious lawyers and judges. They were the guys that took the really, really, really complicated parts of the law and interpreted it. Okay, so they say scribes, but you've you got to think more like the highest judges, okay? The guys that knew how to take the difficult legal concepts and figure them out and interpret them. So that's who these scribes are. And then it talks about, uh, so, so these people, all these people, including these high priests, they make up the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, and that's an interesting word, and there were, there were actually two different kinds of Sanhedrin. There was a lesser Sanhedrin, and that could have been in any city. Any city that had a synagogue and had Jewish people could have had a lesser Sanhedrin. That was, a, that was usually made up of 23 people, okay? 23 people generally in these lesser Sanhedrins, and they were kind of like, look at them like the lower courts that we have, okay? Except you've got to kind of contextually come out of the idea of, of, that we have in America of these three systems of government. You got your executive, your judicial, and your legislative, right? They, we're going back to school now. They're, they're, instead of those three, they're all kind of in one, okay? This is the rulers of the people. They're all kind of in one place. So you have 23 in these lesser Sanhedrin, and then you have the greater Sanhedrin, the great Sanhedrin. And they met in Jerusalem in the temple, okay? And there were 71 people, and this is basically just think about it like the Supreme Court, the President, and Congress. Okay, this is these are the leaders of the Jewish people. Okay, and why is there seventy-one? Well, I'll tell you. If you read in Numbers eleven sixteen, if you've got your Bible, Numbers towards the beginning of the Bible, and chapter eleven verse sixteen, it says this. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Okay. So originally we have God telling Moses to get seventy men plus himself. I'm not great at math, but I can add one. That makes seventy-one. That's why they still use 71 to make up this group of elders that was the great Sanhedrin. And the great Sanhedrin, they made the rules. They made the rules for the Jewish people. They interpreted the scripture. They were the final say. They were the ones that had the authority. So if you were the lesser Sanhedrin, you didn't like what they decided. The greater Sanhedrin might have something different to say. And what the greater Sanhedrin said, what the great Sanhedrin said, that's what went. So that's who these guys are. 
That's who these guys are. And it talks about the high priest, and it says Annas, the high priest, and then it lists Caiaphas and John and Alexander and these folks. But we also know, if we've been paying attention when we read the Gospels, that Caiaphas was the high priest that was part of the Sanhedrin, the same group of folks that sentenced Jesus or that judged Jesus. Okay? Now, why are we saying Annas is the high priest when Caiaphas is the high priest? Well, let's, let's go through this and figure it out. If you look in uh, John, the book of John, chapter 18, verses 12 through 13, we see it says this. Then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Then if we go to Matthew, chapter 26, verses, starting at verse 57... It says this, And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. So you see these same people being listed, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the council. These are the people. This is the Sanhedrin. That's who it's made up of. Okay, And so we see both Annas and, and Caiaphas being called the high priest. So what's the deal? Do we have, do we have a problem? Is the Bible all over? Uh, because it doesn't make sense now? No, here's, here's how it works. So Annas was the high priest. In A.D. 6 through about A.D. 15, Annas was the high priest. Okay. Then he had sons. And normally the high priesthood would go from father to son. That's normally the way it worked. And so Annas, his son-in-law was Caiaphas. Caiaphas had married Annas' daughter. And he was his son-in-law. And from 18 to 36 A.D., Caiaphas was the high priest. Okay, But Annas had been the high priest. And just like today, if you were to meet Jimmy Carter, what would you call him? Mr. President. That's what you'd say. He's not the president, but he was the president. Right? He was the president. Any of the former presidents, the proper way to greet them would be Mr. President, even though they're not the president anymore. Same thing with governors. Okay, call a governor governor. It's just a, it's a title of respect that they get even when they're out of office. They continue to hold that title. In this case, Annas is probably still in the Sanhedrin, I'm guessing, and he's very influential among the people. But Luke would call him the high priest because he was the high priest, and that was a proper thing to call him. This guy John that he mentions is probably the other son. Annas had several sons. One of them was also John, who was also high priest after Caiaphas. So that's who these guys are. That's Luke is mentioning these guys so you know who they are, so you know where they are in the story, okay? Now, from here we get an idea of the context of the situation, okay? Remember, Peter and John are put in jail in the temple for doing this preaching. Now, it's important that you understand who they're coming before. That's why I've gone through all this telling you about who the Sanhedrin is and who these people are and trying to relate it to who they would be among us. So you basically got the president and the Congress and the Supreme Court have come and showed up to get you to answer for yourself. Okay, this is not the mayor of Yakult. This is like the serious people. Okay, the big time people. It's important to understand the gravity of this situation. Most of us would be afraid if we were in trouble and the people we went in front of were the president and the Congress and the Supreme Court, that would be scary, okay? It's scary to go before the justice of the peace, okay, let alone the Supreme Court, okay? So that's where they are. They're in front of these people. This is a very serious thing. They would, you've got to think about where they're at. They are afraid. 
They would be afraid. They would have to be afraid. They would be silly not to be afraid. These people were the rulers. They had the authority. Their life and their death, Peter and John's, would have been in the hands of these people. All right, let's read verse 7. Or 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? It says, When they had set them in the midst, the great Sanhedrin, like I said, 71 people, and the way that they were set up is they sat in basically like a semicircle. So 71 dudes, the most powerful dudes of your people, are right here, and you get set in the middle and have to answer for yourself. That's how it worked. That's where they were. And it says, by what power or what name have you done this? Okay. These guys are asking them a couple questions. First, what power? You will remember possibly if you studied in the Gospels that there was a time when these same types of folks, these rulers of, of the Jewish people, came to Jesus and said, oh, you're casting out demons by Satan. It's the power of Satan you're using to cast out demons. And so they, when they saw power might not necessarily say it came from God. So the first question they're asking is, where did the power come from? The next question they ask him is very interesting. Say, what authority do you have? What authority do you have to do the things you're doing? You have to remember, these are the guys who are at the top. In their mind, they have all the authority. Authority comes from them. And so when they go to Peter and John, they're saying, I didn't tell you you could talk about this Jesus guy. I didn't tell you you could talk about him rising from the dead. You're here in the temple where I'm in charge. Who gave you this authority? Where did this authority come from? Now, if we read in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, we see that Jesus also ran into the same question. It says, now when he came into the temple, that's Jesus, the chief priests and the elders of the people, again, same type of people, right? Chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Who gave you this authority? So they did the same thing to Jesus. When Jesus would preach, when he would show power, these guys are coming to him and saying, whose authority are you doing this by? We obviously didn't tell you you could do it, so who told you you could do it? This is a question, this is accusatory. These guys have seen a miracle, they know it's a miracle. Because these guys also know who this guy was at the gate. They know that he was lame and now he's walking, so they can't deny that. They can't deny it at all. But what they're doing is they're coming at him accusatorily. Who, who do you think you are? We're, we're the guys. It'd be, like I say, it'd be like the President of the Supreme Court and so on, and you've gone and done something, and they're saying, who told you you could do that? It's a tough question because uh, Peter and John are in a situation where they didn't get authority from them. They hadn't gotten any authority from these people who thought that they were the authority. These are two guys who are fishermen from Galilee, okay? We've talked about this before. Galilee, these guys are country bumpkins, and they're fishermen. The men that they're standing around are the most educated, most powerful, probably wealthiest people in the entire, of all, among all the Jews. That's who these people are. And these guys, like I say, a couple country bumpkin fishermen are standing there being told, who told you? little fisherman from Galilee, that you could say these things, that you could do what you thought. And this is a tendency that we see with people who get power to use their power in a way that's not good. We see it all the time, right? We see when power comes, power and authority can be a trap. It can get you into this place where you think that you're better than you are and that you think that you can tell other people what to do. And it's particularly scary when that power and authority also has the idea of church behind it or God behind it. Because not only do you have the power over the person, like maybe the president would have, but you also think you're speaking for God. You hold the the keys to heaven and hell. 
And that's how these guys were. Now, John Bunyan, not Paul Bunyan, the guy that made the Grand Canyon and all that, um, but John Bunyan, different guy, English guy, author back in the day, hundreds of years ago. This guy spent years in prison. He wrote maybe the most well-known, most well-loved Christian book of all time called Pilgrim's Progress. And he was, like I say, in jail for years because the Church of England acted just like these guys and said, Bunyan, you don't have authority to speak, to preach. So Bunyan would get people together and he'd preach to them. That was illegal because the Church of England decided who could preach. They're the ones who licensed those who got to preach the word. And if you preached about Jesus outside of what they had to say, they'd literally put you in jail. That's the way it was. So they were Christians, but they wanted all the authority and all the power. And that power went to their head, and they started to lord it over people, and bad things happened as a result. We see this sometimes in the church. We see it in government for sure. Um, We see it with husbands sometimes, with teachers sometimes, with law enforcement officers sometimes, with pastors sometimes, with lawyers sometimes. Seems like too many of those hit me, but um, it is a problem, right? It's a problem. And, And the fact is is that authority can really corrupt. But our tendency is to swing from one side all the way to the other. So let me, let me slow the pendulum down for a second. There is such a thing as authority. I know that as Americans, we have this kind of American rebellious spirit, and we don't like to think of anybody having authority over us at all. Nobody's in charge of me. I make the rules. Nobody gets to say what I do. Well, that is not the case. The fact is, is that God has set up authority in government, set up authority in church. He set up authority in different places. Your job is not to try to find a place where there's no authority over you, but to make sure that those who are in authority over you are exercising it properly. Now, if we, if we look at the Great Commission, and we've, and we've gone over this several months back, we really spent some time in this, the Great Commission, which is also the mission statement for Acts Church, I'm going to read it, and I want to explain a couple of things about authority real quick. So it's Matthew 28, chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, here's the thing. He says, all authority is given to me. So we know from the beginning, all authority that exists is in Christ. All of it. When he died and rose again, God put all authority in him. But then he says, go, therefore. The suggestion being that he is allowing his disciples to exercise his authority on earth. He has the authority, so he has the ability to give it to them. He seals them with the Holy Spirit with his seal, tells them the power of the Holy Spirit's coming, so they have the power of his Holy Spirit, and they have his authority to go out and do his work. So actually, when Peter and John are standing here in front of the Sanhedrin of 71 people who think that they have the most authority in the world when it comes to the matters of God, they're actually standing there and the men who are speaking to them actually, in reality, have more authority than they do because their authority came directly from Jesus Christ, who's the only one who has authority. So it's a very interesting situation. I don't know whether or not this dawned on Peter and John that actually they were in authority that they were the ones in authority. We'll find out what they say in a minute. But my point is, there is such a thing as authority. We are called to be submissive to authority. But that is authority that's exercised properly, which means exercised like Christ exercised authority. 
We look at Matthew again, chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. It says, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we see what Christ-like authority looks like. It looks like servanthood. It looks like humility. It doesn't look like being served. It looks like serving. A good way to tell if someone's exercising authority right, whether or not they're looking to be served or whether or not they're looking to serve. This is Christ-like authority. Now, it doesn't mean that, that Jesus did not exercise authority. He did. You may remember a time when he goes into the temple and starts turning tables over, makes a whip up, and he's like, you know, it's going off on people because he had the authority. Why? Because he was passionate for the temple where you worship God. And there he had the authority and he exercised it. When his disciples would say certain things and people would say certain things, he rebuked them. He'd exercise authority over the Pharisees, telling them what God thought of them. But at the same time, he was gentle, kind, patient, and he was a servant, so much the servant that he gave his life for us, for our sins. So that is the model for authority. These folks in the Sanhedrin, this is not their model. This is not their model. Their model is, you serve me, you look at me, you talk about me and how I'm, I'm the elder and I walk around and I, and I make it look like I'm really special and you give me respect. That's the way that they work. They let their authority go to their head the way many people do. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Vancouver, Washington, here on Contemplate. You want to be sure and check out the next episode to see how Peter responds to these leaders. And wasn't Pastor David's explanation of the Sanhedrin and all that fascinating? I learned so much from the facts that he gives. And if this kind of practical, no-nonsense Bible teaching is something you'd like more of in your own life, come see us here at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Get easy directions and all the info you need at axechurchnw.org or call 360-885-9000. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll listen again to Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.